The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not legal advice. The only advice we offer is to consult with a qualified expert regarding your specific circumstances. Welcome to the When in Doubt Reboot Podcast, presented to you by Q Associates, the power of partnership. Welcome to another episode of the When in Doubt Reboot Podcast. I'm Art Pugach, Chief Technology Officer of Q Associates, along with Moreto Donovan, a project coordinator also for Q Associates. A fabulous guest today. We have Mr. Joseph Savage. Joseph, how are you? I'm doing well this morning. Thanks for having me. Today we'll be talking about the fabulous field of NDAs. I've signed NDAs for shows, signed NDAs for movies. You know, you can't release pictures that you've taken, anything so tech NDA stand for? Like, stand for, what does it entail in in the world of technology? NDAs are non-disclosure agreements. They, they're they used in a lot of different industries mm-hmm. and sort of have different, you know, applications, mm-hmm. uh, as you were alluding to. Basic idea in all of them is the same. It's some kind of agreement that says, hey, after you sign this agreement, you're going to find out some things that the public doesn't know about. Maybe that's, you know, working on a film or mm-hmm. uh, an artistic project that hasn't mm-hmm. been released yet. In some cases, it may be you're going to see legal documents mm-hmm. that are not yet released to the public. And in some cases, like in technology, it means you're, especially for a business that Q and a lot of other software developers and implementers do, it means mm-hmm. you're you're going to get access into the client systems and you're going to get to see lots of things. And there's and just, because it's not that it's for, permanent, it's not necessarily no. permanent access, but we also touch, Yeah, I mean, we've been around for 30 years, so the amount of sensitive data that mm-hmm. we've come across is astronomical. Oh, yeah. It's a metric ton. Yeah, ab- absolutely. Especially because uh, NDAs are signed only between um, mm-hmm. prospective clients mm-hmm. as well. So even all of the the clients, you never actually end up working on their systems, but you need at least you know some preliminary look into their status to oh, see wow. if, if you're a right that fit. Makes, I didn't yeah. know that. Oh yeah, we sign non-disclosure agreements with far more people than we actually end up, oh. you know, actually end up working oh. with because you know we we have to determine you know if if Q is the right fit or if mm-hmm, you know our, mm-hmm, our products mm-hmm. and solutions are are a good match. We're not backing people into a corner and right. saying pick right. us, you, pick you, us, pick us. Right, you don't want to sign the agreement and get all started and then find out what what the situation is like. Uh, it's it's used for at lots of different levels for that reason for being able to facilitate business while still protecting all of your sensitive information mm-hmm. and not having to worry about those kinds of things. So with specifically with technology, a lot of times mm-hmm. it is getting people who there's there's just no way around having people tech side of things finding out information. It's a separate conversation, but it's incidentally why HR and tech departments often have to work pretty closely together is because the tech departments will have access to lots of things that Sometimes the HR department rather that they didn't, but there's just no way around it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's a, it's the same story with a software implementation company coming in to see financial information, personal records. Not that they should be looking in depth at those things, but they're going across in front of their eyes. So the non-disclosure agreements are there to protect the people who are in charge of that sensitive information and usually have a lot of responsibilities around it, especially with more and more privacy data or data privacy laws and regulations getting in place. Mm-hmm. You know, there need to be protections to make sure that personal information of employees, for example, and getting leaked out or misused. Internal, like yeah. both ex- internal yeah. and externally, it's 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 important. Um, I guess I would have not that I would have never thought it was not important, but I, there's been a lot of things that you know to lets you take a look under the hood with a lot of these other processes or just intricate assets of the company. And so obviously, you know, it, okay. with movies it's different because movie comes out on a certain mm-hmm. date you can mm-hmm. release what you've t- pictured on a certain date it seems like it's far more spanning with a tech nda 
versus a attainment NDA. Mm-hmm. So you can broadly think of NDAs as protecting two categories. You could just call sensitive information, which catches mm-hmm. a, a lot of other stuff. And the other is the intellectual property. Intellectual property is more clearly defined, and that Copy. itself has four subcategories of patent, wow. copyright, trademark, and trade secret. The first three are pretty familiar with, all very distinct in their own ways, but patent, copyright, and trademark, they're protected specifically by some kind of publication. You make your invention, you file your patent, you publish your book or your movie gets distributed, trademark, you're using your work in, in commerce. All of those mm-hmm. are specifically the public knows about it. Trade secrets trade are the opposite. Secret. Is that trade like secrets. um like a secret ingredient in the recipe yep. that they can't <gasps> nice. Yep. Yeah, so um, the most famous trade secret is probably uh, the recipe for Coca-Cola, which famously is you know kept in a vault and only two or three people in the world know about it. Um, and really? the whole the, the whole reason that it's able to be kept a secret, a big, big part of the protection of trade secrets is if you can show that you are making lots of effort to keep this from being published. So NDAs become a big part of protecting trade secrets. Oh. Because if the secret gets out, one of the things the court will look at is say, well, were you really trying to protect this? And if you can come <laughs> back and doing? say, look at all the NDAs, we had everyone who looked at this sign an agreement saying they wouldn't disclose it. They that wouldn't... counts That counts as evidence towards we're trying to keep the secret. Wow, so then and, it kind of, I mean, not that, because it doesn't necessarily push the blow, pushes the blame off of Coca-Cola because they mm-hmm. say, we've done everything that we can. This is the whistleblower. This person all knew what they were doing. I right. see. Right. Again, come back to your question about the length mm-hmm, of NDAs. Because mm-hmm. trade secrets continue as long as they're protected, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. a lot of times there's a, a push to try to get the NDA to go as long as possible. It can be a problem because for companies that sign lots of NDAs and then have indefinite uh, lengths of, of confidentiality around you've them. Got a throng, you've got throngs yeah, you of people. Yeah, you have to track all of them. Yeah. How many, I mean, that's crazy. It is, but there's one convenient thing in the tech industry, which okay. is that a lot of trade secrets, especially the ones that are you know tied to the technology, those become pretty obsolete pretty quickly in our industry. You know, if, if you have some competitive oh. edge in technology, you know, in software development this mm-hmm. year, that whole edge can evaporate with one Microsoft update, you know, or one <laughs> new technology disruption. An, an app comes out, a new platform gets popular, or an, an existing popular platform falls off in popularity, or you know goes bankrupt, or in, any number of mm-hmm, of mm-hmm. upsets can suddenly mean, oh, this this trade secret that was worth tens of millions of dollars and, you know, guaranteed future business that can evaporate very, very quickly and frequently does. And th- those are the more drastic examples. But even in less drastic course, examples, you know, other other people catch up to things, you know, other other companies develop the same kind of processes that maybe you were six months ahead of them. But other people also start realizing how to do the same, you know, the same thing. There's people that are running the, the race in a car. Exactly. And even if you're ahead, you know, you it's rare that the one thing that has you ahead right now is going to keep you going to as keep you ahead six months, much less two years down the road. So because there's so much ongoing, you know, development and progress in, in our industry and in, in technology, it's just rare that it's much interest and effort mm-hmm. in keeping a trade secret hush hush for three, five, ten plus years. Some other things we wanted to talk about with NDAs was how to go about sort of communicating them and drafting. We talked a little mm-hmm. bit about how a, a lot of what really makes the NDAs work is just trust and just kind of the basic understanding of responsibilities. What I find the industry standard seems to be with software and implementation is the NDAs are kept Pretty simple and straightforward. Try not to overreach. The last thing you want is the NDAs to be a, a point of contention. And they they very rarely are because people do keep them simple and straightforward. And it's clear that the NDAs are only ever trying to protect 
usually the clients as well as legal obligations of, of the company. I mean, it would just seem sneaky to make like a put in fluff words or type of like useless jargon, but that seems pretty beyond the point outside of what an NDA is. And like at that point, if you are putting that in there, you are the one that's putting your your company at risk for like having all the senseless. Yeah, no, ab- absolutely. I, I still read them, you know, and, and take a look mm-hmm. at things to, to make mm-hmm. sure that, uh, you know, that things say what they do. But really, for the most part, they do. The only times I've ever really had issues with NDAs tends to be when there's the NDA has not been prepared by an attorney a lot of times. And it's not entirely outside the rules for this to happen, but a lot of times a, an executive, especially at a very small company, will just go online and oh, okay. grab an old template and just plug in information. That's uh, That used to be a much more common practice maybe 10 plus years ago. I think one of the things is a few things for the legal industry have started to modernize a little bit. And mm. there has been a move away from this sort of mid 20th century making contracts as hard to read and unpleasant to untangle as possible. An an NDA, I find for most of the circumstances we run across, Mm -hmm. NDAs rarely need to be more than a page or two. Occasionally, though, I I see it, you know, a five to 10 page NDA and incredibly arcane language and can pretty easily guess, yeah, that someone just grabbed a template. Biggest problem with those very old templates is they are designed Mm -hmm. to cover every possible circumstance. So sometimes there's references to manufacturing processes when there's no manufacturing. No manufacturing processes. Uh, So it it becomes really obvious when, yeah, there's just an incredibly generic broad template that covers every conceivable situation for every conceivable company. Just not necessary, but it shows sort of that there's been a, a lack of expertise applied to the negotiation. One of the the challenges around this, which it's it's not unique to NDAs, it's a problem that comes up in a few areas in law, but in, in some areas of law, there's a lot more than just the contract that, that secures something, especially when you have physical assets. Like in, in a lot of cases, if someone steals a physical thing, one of the things you can do in the course of the legal process is get that physical thing back to its rightful owner. Whereas in the case of NDAs, once a secret is is out in the open that wasn't supposed to be out in the open there's no putting the candy back in that pinata like mm. it's it's gone it's done you can try and recover damages you can try and get the person to pay for the overall cost to whatever you know they're lost and you know courts deal with that but also especially if you know unless the person who spilled the secret is a billionaire you're probably not going to get a lot of of you know the the kind of money you'd like to see recovered from that. So one of the the things I think that makes people nervous about NDAs sometimes, even when they're being used rightly and properly, is there's not the kind of security that you know there is behind other contracts and agreements. You know that we're used to in the law, where there's a, a physical thing, you know that's tangible that can be transferred and mm-hmm. controlled. Once secrets get out, they're out and can't backtrack on that in the way you can in some other ways. And at the end of the day, I hate to put it this way, oftentimes when you're dealing with NDAs, it really is, certainly you're signing a document, but you're really very much on the honor system. Very and much. The reason why I bring that up is because I can certainly say, especially earlier on in my career, before people were signing NDAs or anything like that, you would go into an environment, IT environment, say server room or an operate network operating system, or even even in, in you know an office, the customer's IT person, can I have access to this resource? And oftentimes the IT person would be, you know, I'm overwhelmed, I don't have time for this here. Here's my domain admin username and password. So they would give, essentially give you the keys to the castle so you could access anything. Now, I am sure there have been people out there have been tempted to take that and to do a lot of damage. I'm sure there's others been out there that have taken it and done a lot of damage. And then there are people like me, and I'm not trying to say I'm better or worse than others, who always took that as an honor, as a responsibility, mm-hmm. saying, hey, I've been given this 
you know, responsibility. I don't necessarily want that responsibility because I'll be honest with you, I don't want to have the keys to the castle. I want as little as granular permissions as possible, which is something that Microsoft has been working on recently with the partner access granular uh, admin privileges. But the fact of the matter is if I am giving it, it's my responsibility to make sure that I keep that. Now, of course, admittedly, say you're working with an IT person at a company and he's given 15 different vendors that, that same username and password and they get hacked, which one of those 15 vendors is responsible? Is it one of them? Is it all of them? Or is it just an IT person? And that becomes a you know whole this big gray area, which is why you need NDAs to protect people. Mm. So that and it's also a way of tracking as well. I th I think the overall summary of it that is that, that makes NDAs complicated is as we've discussed in a few different ways. They they are still a valid legal mechanism and they do bring legal consequences, but they can't protect you from damage being done. Um, and that having having that trust behind the NDAs is. In practical terms, maybe at least as important as the actual document itself being signed. The NDA by itself is not nearly as important as you know trust. Just just the same way data you know privacy policies are great to have for companies, but if people aren't following the policies and actually following those procedures, then uh, what's the point? Yeah, yeah, you you can you know you can fire your employees later after you get hacked, but the damage will be done, and there's not a lot you can do to undo that damage. So let me bring up a, a practical example because I was thinking about this and I was going back to my college days. Uh, how many of our listeners and, and either Joseph or Mairead uh, had to sign an honor code when entering college? Maybe if we I'm were in middle school. And by an honor code in, in this college. case, I mean the fact that, and what I mean by an honor code, because I've worked with this a little bit back in college, was the idea that uh, you wouldn't uh, you know, share uh, exam answers as an example. Oh, right, like an academic honesty. Uh, I mean, that was just a given. Yeah. Did you well, actually sign it like as part of your agreement to go to the school? I mean, right? that makes sense, probably. It was probably in there somewhere. Mm -hmm. Well, I'll in put it to you this papers. way. Yeah. When I went back to college and people, if they want to look at my LinkedIn page, they can see where I went. There wasn't an honor code. By the time I left, there was. I was involved with this process. And there was something, uh, and we could talk about a non-disclosure sort of thing if you want to, just as an example. What there was, and I believe it was something called the word, was something that was shared by, uh, you know, sororities and fraternities, uh, Greek associations. And what they were were years upon years upon years of professors' exams that people, you know, went to a school with a lot of smart people. They, you know, after the exams, they would write down what was in the exams. They would write down the, you know, the, the information. And if you joined a Greek society, uh, you could then get access to this. So if you joined a Greek society, you have this unfair advantage in a certain sense. Mm. And one of the things that I saw, and I, admittedly, I never used this, I never saw them, but one of the things that I did, and you can, you know, throw uh, hot lava at me if you wanted for doing this, or you can, or you can congratulate me. I know there's both sides of this argument. Okay. But again, this comes about disclosure, right? But my feeling was, is well, number one, it's, you could say, yes, that's cheating overall. But number two, what I thought to myself was, if this information is available, it's either you have one or two options. Either A, you have to make it available to everybody, or B, you have to make sure nobody gets access to it. And it occurred to me, because of the way the system was, at least going backwards, it would be almost impossible to make sure that nobody had access to this data. So what I had them do is I had them put the information in the library. So if somebody wanted to, wanted to use this, they could go <laughs> to the library and look up this stuff. If they didn't or weren't aware of it, they wouldn't know it was there, but it was that sort of way of almost mm. leveling the playing field. I know right. it's a little bit 
a little bit off of off of the topic, but it was a whole idea of, you know, there's no honor or no honor code unless you unless you are able to enforce it in a right way that works for everyone. So if you want to have, you know, an NDA that works, it's either all or none situation. And um, yes, it has to be specific. Yes, it has to be, you know, to each person, each person individually, but it has to be enforced and it has to be. And that's the thing, the only thing is honor is that in the way it's written, it has to be written in such a way that's a applicable to what it's going to be written in. Again, in this case, making sure this information is in a library as opposed to being in an individual corner someplace, or B, it has to be locked down someplace where nobody can get to it. You can only get to it with a certain access key. And that's what I certainly mean by sort of like having a, a specific way or specific, making it applicable to a specific situation. Because the fact of the matter is, is that human beings are human beings. And there are people that are going to, they're always going to try to find a way around things. The more that we can do to protect or make available information, depending on what the information is, better off uh, we are at the end of the day. And NDAs go a long way to uh, protecting both uh, us and that information. No, I, I actually thought that was a, a, a very relevant example because it, it demonstrated a lot of things about NDAs. One of the other things that it, it demonstrates is you know, the point I made earlier about once the information's out there, like you said, it's close to impossible to, to reel back in. So you have to deal with a, a whole new landscape you know, once it's been violated. Just not much you can do to undo the damage once it's been done. So that's always something to think about as you're going through the NDA processes. There's there's just no amount of, of paper, you know, ma making the NDA 20 pages long is really just not going to do that much to help you in the, at the end of the day once damage is done. But it is, as I say, still important and still a, a valid legal mechanism because at least it does give you something. It certainly, certainly is better than nothing. And if, if nothing else, I think it also draws attention to the fact that everyone needs to, to kind of be on their best behavior about whatever information is going to get shared and disclosed. I mean, I would think that you're owning a business, you'd know, not even, you know, IP standpoint, but just like anything, like having that legal safeguard. I mean, I know you, mm. you know, it's because once the secret is out, once the cat's out of the bag, it's not like you can really put it back in. But mm. I guess at least having the, hey, you know, there's an NDA, like, <laughs> well, something tells legal re repercussions. But yeah, I, I do have one more legal question about NDAs. And I think this could apply to clients and customers. So let's say, you know, customers signed an NDA and let's say, you know, your data secure, you signed an NDA, but let's say a hacker gets that information, mm. which is supposed to be a you know, non-disclosure. Obviously, we could talk about WikiLeaks or another source of person, you know, it's, you know, disclosing confidential information. What's the recourse? Yeah. Yeah. No, really, really great question. I should have thought about it. And typically what, what we do see with NDAs is there's some reference to requirements in, in that situation, right, that we would have to protect that information. So a client gives us the information. Very often the standard is you need to protect it as would your own company information. And different NDAs will go into sometimes more depth about what level of protection they expect. Sometimes they'll ask us separately about our own, you know, data privacy stuff and they'll decide, okay, those those sound like acceptable security measures that you know, we would trust because it's you know at least industry standard. But if, in the other hand, if we sign an NDA that says we will be responsible and protect this, and then we either either we weren't honest up front about um, what our security measures were in place, or we violate our own policies and we're negligent upholding those, in most cases, as liable as we would have been as if we had deliberately disclosed mm -hmm. that information, uh, we're absolutely absolutely liable for for that. Uh, but on the other hand, if you know, we get hacked because some hacker group came up with a whole new strategy that caught the whole industry off guard and there was nothing anyone could have done, much more likely that we'll get some leniency, special case like that. So it's, it's, so, it's, it, 
it's it's going to come down to a question of how good was our actual defense and protection and effort in in safeguarding that information. And certainly, I know in Congress there have been discussions with uh, uh, social media providers because certainly people's data, people's private photos, private information have been you know subject to bad actors out there and gotten out there. Yep. And the question is, is the bad actor who's responsible? At the end of the day, it is the bad actor. But the question always comes out there. How much does the social media company bear responsibility? Yeah. One thing yeah. I will say that is is a little different is there's a whole a whole different debate that goes around around social media policies and really specific section of a telecommunications act that got passed in '96 that got gutted except for one section. The way that those companies and social media companies get treated is most of the time going to be a very different kind of discussion with different legal principles at issue between a company that signs an NDA versus the uh, the social media publisher or platform their obligations. It may sound the same until you get into the technical nitty gritty, but the actual statutes involved and the causes of action involved will actually be very different. So from from an attorney's perspective, those are very different conversations, but I can understand from the outside that those look very, very similar. That's why that we're up. having uh, this discussion so we can uh, clear that up because I'm sure there are people that you know, I said, like, I'm asking the question, you know, are they the same? Or are they different? Because I know that is a concern out there. Because again, you sign a contract, whether or not when you sign up, for, you would know it or not when you sign up for social media. And, yep. you know, how much do they have responsibility? How much do they not? And I know that's always a big debate. But as you said, it's a different, uh, it's a different discussion for a different day. It's it's a different uh, legal discussion, but it, it, I think socially, a lot of the same principles seem to apply for a lot of the the social and cultural discussions. It's interesting in that way. The, the the technicalities of it legally are different, but maybe the same principles about privacy, about how people treat and respect others' information uh, and confidential information, those tend to be driven by feelings and cultural norms and expectations. And so, for that reason, it feels like the same conversation. I think. But you know, speaking of data privacy, data privacy and NDAs, they very much go hand in hand. Certainly. Uh, especially in this industry. And I know we've talked about data privacy before. So any uh, last comments, Murray or Joseph, before we wrap up? No, I just think it, I think it's an exciting, exciting world, at least on that side that I never would have thought technology and technological NDAs. I mean, obviously, it's great that it's in place. I just would have kind of went right over my head. So well, have there did been I sign any... an NDA? Like, did I sign an NDA when I started working? Yeah, you should have. <laughs> we did. OK, we did. Yeah. yeah. But I know you've talked about NDAs. You've signed NDAs with other companies. Have you? What's mm -hmm, your experience mm -hmm. with NDAs? I mean, Mairead. Yeah, I did it for movies, VMAs, and stuff like that. But that, that what? that's what one of the points we had at least discussed was the fact that like those are short term, whereas like a long spanning NDA type of thing. So do you had? Did you sign anything with the MCU? And do you know any upcoming? Uh, I did not. Secrets? Sadly, oh, I wish. I, I wish. <laughs> and even if I did, I couldn't tell you. Yes, that is true. And and I can tell you for a fact. If you want to talk about someone who knows how an NDA works and knows how the honor system works, uh, Maraid is one of those who you can very much trust with an NDA because she worked on a film recently, and there are certain things, details about that film that she didn't have to that she couldn't tell anyone about, and she didn't tell anyone about for well over a year until she was released from that NDA. So, NDAs they do work when uh, yeah when uh, and it's a trusted uh, person exactly. Yes. Honor system. So there you go, Maraid. You, you are an honorable knight. Well done. Well done. <laughs> thank you both. All right. Well, thank, thank you. you both for wonderful mm -hmm. interview today. Yes. So this is Art Pugach, Chief Technology Officer. We've been interviewing uh, Joseph Savage regarding NDAs. First, has been mostly doing the interview and doing most of the good stuff. I'm Maraid O'Donovan, and I'm Project Coordinator here at Q Associates. Thank you very much for listening. Take care, everybody. When in doubt, reboot.
If you like this podcast, make sure to give us five stars, leave us a review, and share it with your friends and family. Follow Q on socials, which are linked in the description below. And if you have any topic suggestions, questions, or comments, leave them in the Q&A below. You've been listening to the When in Doubt Reboot Podcast, brought to you by Q Associates, the power of partnership.